Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It is Acts chapter 8 where my Bible is open. Now I'll invite you to be turning to Acts chapter 8 in your Bible as well. This is where our Bible reading schedule is going to find us this week, and so I would like to preach from this particular section of Scripture. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 8 here in just a moment. I will just echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see you all tonight. It has been really just a quite nice spring day here in South Central Kentucky. And I'm glad that I've got to spend at least a good portion of that day with with you, my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside, uh, doing the things that bring honor and glory to our great God in heaven. Let's take a look at the text. In Acts chapter 8, this is the kind of the beginnings of the aftermath of the stoning of Stephen of the rampage of this fellow known as Saul of Tarsus, the church at Jerusalem and the persecution that arises there in that city. And the persecution is so great that the Bible tells us that these people from Jerusalem, they're having to scatter all over the place to the regions of Judea and Samaria and going all over the place. And so we then read in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 4, Acts 8 verse 4, Now those who were scattered, they went about... Preaching the Word. If I asked you to name a really important preacher in the book of Acts whose name starts with the letter P, whose name would you say? I think there's a good portion of you who would probably say Peter. And Peter would be a good answer. Peter is a great preacher. Lots of great sermons we have recorded of preachers. Specifically, I think about the sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter is such a dominant figure during those first several chapters of the book of Acts. Others of you would probably be quick to say, Paul. And indeed, Paul is another great preacher in the book of Acts whose name starts with the letter P. And we see a lot of Paul's work. That's kind of the the second half of the book of Acts. and Lots of great sermons that Paul preached. I think about that great sermon that he preached there on Mars Hill. But if I were to ask you to name an important preacher in the book of Acts, whose name starts with the letter P, that you personally really identify with. And as you look at them and as you watch them and as you read about them, you believe that their example is one that you could emulate. Uh, I'm guessing we would probably be a little bit reluctant to say Peter or to say Paul. Because when you know about the life of Peter and the life of Paul, those guys... They just seem like superheroes, don't they? They do to me. You think about Peter getting arrested, getting thrown in prison, and standing before the Sanhedrin council on multiple occasions, being threatened, all the things he endured. You think about Paul, him being in prison too, being shipwrecked, bit by a snake, beaten with rods, stone, all kinds of things. And it's just hard, for at least for me, to imagine that I could really relate to those guys. Those guys just seem kind of on a whole nother level, spiritually speaking, and I'm just not really sure I could be like them. Well, how about we go for another preacher in the book of Acts, whose name starts with the letter P, but who doesn't get nearly the coverage or nearly the press that Peter or Paul or even some of these other guys, John or any other apostles. What about this guy? who really most of his story is reduced to just one chapter, but a man and a preacher who I think that all of us can relate to. And tonight when I say all of us can relate to him, I do mean 
all of us. What about the man who's mentioned in the very next verse? In Acts 8, after saying that people that were scattered, they went everywhere preaching, verse 5, Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. In Acts chapter 8, at this pivotal moment in the history of the church, it's not Peter, it's not Paul, it's not John, it's not some other apostle that gets the focus. In Acts chapter 8, Luke shines the spotlight on this man named Philip, and he wants us to watch Philip in action. And we better pay attention to Philip here, because with the exception of an obscure reference over in Acts chapter 21, we're not going to hear from Philip again after Acts chapter 8. The Spirit of the Lord is going to carry him away at the end of this chapter, and as far as the Bible is concerned, the story of Philip comes to a close. And the reason I want us to pay close attention to Philip tonight is because I do believe that you and I, we can be like Philip. Now you may not be able to do the kinds of things that Peter did or the kinds of things that Paul did. As a Christian, you might think that you just feel very inferior to those guys. But I absolutely believe that you and I can do what Philip did. I believe everybody in this room And I especially tonight, I hope our young Christians that we have in this number, I hope you'll give careful attention. Because I want you to see that you can do the same kinds of things that Philip did. And in fact, I'm going to step out on a limb and I'm going to say that we need more Philips in the kingdom. Even more specifically, we need more Philips in this local congregation. Let me share with you tonight three things that Philip did that you can do, I can do, within the kingdom of God. And that begins with this first point. And that is that Philip was willing to serve in whatever capacity he was needed. And that's actually best illustrated for us, not in Acts 8, but actually Acts chapter 6. Would you fall back a page or two in your Bible? In Acts chapter 6, this is actually the first place where we meet Philip. We are introduced to him here in Acts chapter 6. This is prior to that great persecution that's happened in Jerusalem. So we've got this big, gigantic church that's grown there in the city of Jerusalem. And there's some problems going on in the life of that church. We read about that in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we've got a congregation here who's, well, they're going through some growing pains as the just sheer size of this Jerusalem church in the days and weeks and months that have passed since Pentecost, it's just, it's just becoming ginormous. And as a result, part of the problem there is that some of the widows in that congregation, they're being overlooked. And so we've got a problem now. We've got to deal with this problem. And so that problem comes to the ears of the apostles. Verse 2 now. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven wise men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. 
And so they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip. And they chose five other guys whose names I'm not going to try to pronounce right now. And so here's where Philip is first introduced. He is one of these seven men that were chosen in the Jerusalem church based on some specific qualifications that the apostles gave in verse 3. And some have suggested that maybe these are the first deacons, or at least the first example of deacons within the Lord's church. And I think there might be something to that. But Philip is appointed here, presumably to serve in this ministering role, as a a deacon-type role, okay? Got some guys appointed, problem solved, moving on. Well, wait, 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 wait. It's worth us focusing and noticing what exactly was Philip appointed to do? You know, some men today, they are appointed to the role and to the office of deacons. And it's really nothing more than just a kind of a badge of honor. It's this honorific title that they wear around and it really doesn't mean anything. But what did Philip do? Well, the apostle said, we're going to appoint these guys to this duty. Okay, what duty? Verse 2, the duty of serving tables. Do you know what we call people today who serve tables? We call them waiters. That's what we call them. And these guys here in Acts chapter 6, that's exactly what they are called to do. They are appointed to serve food to needy Christians within that congregation. They waited tables. And the fact of the matter is, that's not very glamorous work, is it? I know people, I have friends who wait tables for a living and they will tell you, it's not a very exciting and it's not a very attractive job. And I'm guessing that for Philip and for the rest of these guys, they were not the type of people who just stayed up late at night just daydreaming. Oh, I hope the day comes that I get to wait tables. Oh, that's just what I've always wanted to do. I hope my dreams come true someday. No, this was not glitzy and glamorous work. Yet isn't it true that most of the work in the kingdom of God is of the non-glitzy and the unglamorous variety? Most of the work that needs to be done in the kingdom, most of the work that needs to be done within a local church, it involves putting on a towel and washing dirty feet just like Jesus did in John the 13th chapter. And what really stands out to me and what is impressive to me about Philip is that he was willing and ready to do that kind of menial work. Philip does not say, Oh, I, I can't serve tables. That's, 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 that's beneath me. I, I want to preach. Hey, don't you guys know that two chapters from now, I'm going to go preach. I can't be waiting tables. No, that's not what Philip says. Philip simply said, Alright, this is what the kingdom needs. This is what this local congregation needs. Alright then that's what I'm going to do. If this is what Jesus needs, if Jesus needs some waiters, then you know what? I guess I can be a waiter. Philip does not see this as being somehow you know, underneath him in some way. Philip does not see himself as being too important. He's just so above this kind of job. Philip does not say that, you know, I don't really have time for that kind of you know petty work and petty stuff, serving tables. No. Philip is willing to serve whenever and wherever He is needed. Now you think about that kind of attitude within a local congregation. And you think about what an asset that kind of attitude can be 
when you have members who are determined to be just like that. Because I'll tell you, we can never have enough people who have the attitude that says, whatever it is, whatever the need is, I'm on deck. I'm getting off the bench and I'm letting you know I'm willing to help. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to step up and to step in and to serve. We sang that wonderful song a moment ago, servant song. Lord, make me a servant. If you sang that song, did you believe what you were saying? Maybe that means then I'm going to have to say, you know what, well, I've never done that before, but I'm willing to try. That may not be my most favorite thing to do in the whole wide world, but you know what, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves. If that's what the kingdom needs, then that's what I'm going to do for the kingdom. And so, for example, if we need somebody to help with cleaning the church building and the grounds here so that we can have a nice place to continue to worship in and, and, and it be you know not distracted and encumbered with all kinds of filth and trash and nastiness, if that's what's needed here, then this attitude, this mentality says, okay, I'm going to go back there and check on the bulletin board. See if there's some open slots and I can sign my name in and I can help do that. I can serve in that way. I think about our Bible class program here. We are always needing more teachers. And so maybe what that means is, is that means, you know what? I sure like sitting in class. I like just being a student in class. I like people feeding me. But you know what? I'm going to forego that. I'm going to give up that, right? I'm going to sacrifice that so that I can not just be in class. No, I'm going to devote the time to teach the class. If that's what's needed, sign me up. DBS. That's fixing to be right around the corner before we know it. And when a teacher says, man, I need some help cutting out all these jillion little things that we do with the kids to kind of have some visual aids to go along with the, with the class material. And a teacher says, I need some help with that because I need to focus my time on studying and preparing my lesson so that I can teach the Word of God. Then this mentality says, you know what? I've got two hands and i got a pair of scissors. I'll be ready to help with that. Or you know what? Whenever there are needs amongst our family here, when maybe we've got folks in the hospital, Brother Don Ayers is there right now and has been there for the last few days. When we've got shut-ins in this congregation, Ron and LaVon Gimple are having a tough time. When we've got folks within this congregation who maybe are slipping spiritually and maybe have not, maybe have not been a part of our assembly for some time. Our sister Cass Powell has not been here in recent months. When we recognize those needs, then this attitude says, I'm going to jump in there. I'm not going to sit around and wait for somebody else to take care of that. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to, to take food to Ron and LaVon. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to go and visit uh, Don in the hospital. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to call or to text or to go talk to Cass about her soul. No. I'm somebody. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do something about that. I am a servant. You see, there's always going to be needs in the kingdom. I could actually spend just hours tonight enumerating a list of those needs. But what we need in the kingdom more than anything else is we need more Phillips. We need people who are going to say, hey, whatever needs to be done, I'm willing to serve. I'm not content to just keep being a bump on a pew. I want to be involved. I need to be involved. I have to be involved. I'm going to be like Philip and I'm going to get plugged in wherever I can. And I'll tell you that that attitude is of particular value 
when you couple it with this second quality of Philip. And that is that Philip was willing to cross some boundaries in order to reach out to others. Now, we don't know a lot about Philip personally, about his personal makeup. I can't tell you if Philip was tall or short, or if he was skinny, or if he was bald-headed, or if he was jacked up and muscular. I don't know, but I can tell you something about his eyes. Philip was colorblind. And I do not mean that in a literal way. I, of course, mean that in a figurative sense. Because every time we meet Philip here in Acts chapter 6, and then in Acts chapter 8, Philip is always serving in very racially diversive situations. Always. Here he is in Acts chapter 6. Here's a Jew. Who's he serving? He's serving a bunch of Greeks. What about that? Boy, that would have seemed off-putting to some people, but Philip's serving. Go to Acts chapter 8 now. We'll stay there the rest of the time. In Acts chapter 8, go back to where we started there in verse 5. In Acts 8 verse 5, Philip went down. Where'd he go? He went to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them Christ, the Christ. And the crowds with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and so there was much joy in that city. Who is it that Philip is reaching out to here? He's reaching out to Samaritans. Do you know who the Samaritans are? Samaritans are those people who lived in that province, that state directly north of Judea. And they had Israelite roots... Those northern ten tribes, that's where their roots were. But the Assyrians, about 700 years before the time of Acts chapter 8, they had resettled a bunch of people in that geographical location, a bunch of foreign people, and as a result, those Jews ended up intermarrying with those foreigners. And as a result, what happened was is you had a mixed race of people. And of course, to good, pure Jews, well, that just was unacceptable. We don't want anything to do with a mixed race of people, mixing Jews and Gentiles together. We don't want anything to do with people who mix and synthesize their worship. They're mixing parts of Judaism with parts of paganism. And that's just a big old ugly mess. In fact, in John chapter 4 and in verse 9, the Bible tells us just flat out that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We ain't talking to those people. We ain't going to visit and eat dinner with those people. We ain't even going to travel through Samaria. And yet here's Philip in Acts chapter 8. He went to Samaria. Philip said, I'm going to go share the gospel with Samaritans. What kind of stir do you think that probably created back home? He did what? He's talking to who and telling them that they can become Christians too? Philip didn't care. Philip didn't see color. He didn't see ethnicity. He didn't see racial or social or economic background distinctions. No. He simply saw souls. Souls who needed the grace and the mercy of God. I'll tell you this, Philip didn't stop there. Keep reading in Acts chapter 8. Look in verse 9. But there was a man in Samaria whose name was Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city And he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believe Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. You mean Philip went and taught a sorcerer? Somebody who's involved in kind of you know witchcraft and the occult and, and black magic in the black arts? Who does that? Who goes and seeks out sorcerers to teach the gospel? I'm thinking if I'm Philip, of all the candidates that I've got there in Samaria who might be interested in the Word of God, Simon is probably the last guy I would think that would be interested in the Word of God. That guy's never going to obey the gospel. That guy's never going to become a Christian. Why even bother talking to that guy? That's not what Philip saw. Philip said, hey, you want to talk about Jesus? I'll talk to you about Jesus. doesn't matter to me what you've done in the past. Yeah, maybe you've got a checkered past, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to talk to you about what you can become in Christ Jesus. We'll see that one more time in Acts chapter 8. Drop down to verse 26. Verse 26, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Philip arose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Let me ask you, what color of man do you think that guy was? I'll answer that for you. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to Philip. It didn't matter what color his skin was. Philip climbed up in the chariot, verse 31 tells us. He sat down with that man and he taught him Jesus. Philip doesn't worry about your background. Philip doesn't worry about who's in your family tree. Philip doesn't worry about your job. Philip doesn't worry about you know what color your skin is or how much money you make or how much money you don't make. Philip just walks right across all of those boundary lines that people create and he shares the message of salvation. Now in a day and in a time when racial hostility in our country is rearing its head once again, in a day and time when there are all kinds of boundary lines being drawn, you think about the lines that are being drawn between Christians and people in the LGBT community. You think about the lines that are being drawn between Christians and the pro-choice crowd, and those who would favor abortion. You think about the line being drawn between Christians and people that are involved in the, in the feminist movement and some of, the, some of the sinful things that go along with that. How important is it? How important is it that we, the people of God, we be the ones to carry on the spirit of Philip and we just cross right over those lines? And we reach out. We reach out to a lost and dying world. That we will demonstrate the same love of Christ to people who are different, oftentimes very different from ourselves. And we're going to show them, demonstrate that that children's song, that it's still true, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus cares about everybody. We're going to love and care about everybody. The gospel is not a respecter of persons. You just ask Philip, because he's living proof of that. Philip is serving, and he is sharing, and he is reaching out to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Samaritan, whether you're an Ethiopian, whether you are a sorcerer. It doesn't matter to Philip. 
The only thing that matters to Philip is, do you have a soul? If you have a soul, I'd like to talk to you about something. Now can I ask you, brother, sister, do you have that same kind of love and care and compassion for souls? Do you have that kind of indiscriminate love that will push prejudices and preconceived notions and all kinds of bigoted thoughts, you'll push those to the side all for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. Philip had that quality. And I am convinced that every person in this room can have that quality as well. And so we've got Philip. He's willing to serve whenever and wherever. Philip is willing to serve whoever. And that is because thirdly, Philip was humble and Philip was content to just be Philip. He was content with his role in the kingdom. I read a story recently about a guy named Greg Forwick. He is the photographer for Topps baseball cards. And I've often thought that would be a pretty cool job to have, to get to just go around all the major league parks and take pictures of baseball players. That would be a pretty cool deal. But he told the story about a minor league baseball player named uh, Cooper Brannon. You've probably never heard of Cooper Brannon. Cooper Brannon is he's a minor league player, but what kind of made him semi-famous, at least to the tops people, was that he was a former Marine who actually had gotten severely injured in combat, so much so that he lost his pinky, had to amputate his pinky, and also part of his hand had to be amputated. But he was still trying to make it to the major leagues. This was one of his dreams, and so he was he was pushing on to try to get to the majors. The photographer fellow, Greg Forwick, he was sent by Tops down to the minor league farm system down in Arizona to go and get Cooper Brannon's picture because the Tops people wanted to do a line of baseball cards that honored military, that had a military theme, and it honored military heroes just like Cooper Brannon. Well, when Forwick got down there and he introduced himself, he said, hey, I, I, I want to take your picture for a Topps baseball card. And Brandon responded by saying, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I, how much do I need to pay you to be on the card? I love that story. Because that guy didn't see himself as a hero. That guy, in other people's eyes, yeah, he'd been built up as this big, great somebody. But in his own eyes... He's just a regular guy. It didn't even dawn on him that Topps wanted to pay him to take his picture for a baseball card. He just saw himself as a regular guy, just doing the best that he could do in the ways that he could do them. And I think about that guy. And I think he would probably get along just fine with Philip. You know, maybe what makes me nervous about preaching on Philip this evening is that I think if Philip was sitting in this audience right now, he'd be squirming, and he just would be really uneasy thinking about all this attention being paid to him right now. Well, if that does bother Philip, he's going to have to take that up with Luke and the Holy Spirit because they're the ones who saw fit to record his story. But over and over again here in Acts chapter 6 and in Acts chapter 8, we see that Philip is not of that superstar heroic mentality. In fact, if you keep reading what happens in his work in Samaria here in Acts chapter 8, notice in verse 14. In Acts 8 verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, heard of all this good work that Philip has done, 
They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now right there is actually some very helpful information for us in thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit worked in first century times. I didn't talk about this this morning because I thought I would just mention it tonight. It's right here in these verses that we learn how miraculous gifts of the Spirit, how they were imparted. Of course, the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles there in Acts chapter 2. But then how did other people get those miraculous gifts of the Spirit? Well, this text tells us. It tells us that those gifts could only be transferred through the laying on of the apostles' hands. In fact, that's how Philip received his miraculous abilities. The apostles had laid their hands on him back in Acts 6 there in verse 6. And so the apostles come, Peter and John. They come down to Samaria and notice verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them. They, the Samaritans, they received the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that Philip is very content to let the apostles come and do this. Philip does not try to interfere and get in the way of that. Philip does not say, now listen here boys, this is my show down here. You all go over to Judea or some other territory, because this right here, this is my town. This is my congregation here, and you all go someplace else. Philip does not try to undermine the work that Peter and John are trying to do. He's not trying to undermine it so that he can continue to be the big kahuna around here. Hey, Samaritans, don't listen to those guys. You all just keep paying attention to me. Don't, Don't listen to what those guys are saying. Philip does not try to to somehow prevent the Samaritans from receiving these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, if those people start getting these miraculous powers, well, well, that doesn't make Philip's powers all that special anymore. Here, I was dazzling the crowds, but now it's not so dazzling if all kinds of other people can do that. I'm no longer the focus of things around here. Philip could have done any number of things to keep the spotlight on himself. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing here. These are my converts, if you will. I'm the big shot preacher down here. Everybody focus in on me. Philip doesn't do that at all. When those apostles arrived, Philip is glad to step back and to let those men do what only the apostles could do. There's no jealousy there. There's no envy there. There's no diva syndrome there. No. Philip is content to just keep being a servant like we looked at already in chapter 6. Philip recognized, I don't have to be the hero. I don't have to receive all the glory here. I don't have to be the superstar here. I'm happy to just keep on doing whatever it is that the Lord wants me to do in His kingdom. What a beautiful quality for the people of God to emulate even today. That we would not get all caught up in ourselves. That we would not have to, I've got to be center stage. I've got to be down front and up front so everybody can see me and applaud me and everybody's going to pander to me and do things my way. No. Philip shows us, you just do what needs to be done. When you need to step up, then step up. But you know what? If somebody else comes along and they can do it better, then you step back and you let them do it better. Don't make it about you. If you're not a song leader, that's okay. You just be who you can be in the kingdom. If you're not an elder and ain't ever going to be an elder, that's okay. You just be who you can be in the kingdom. If you're not a preacher, if you're not cut out to be a preacher, that's okay. You don't have to be a preacher. You just be who you can be 
in the kingdom of God. If you are a five-talent man, please use your five talents to the glory of God. If you are a two-talent man, please use your two talents to the glory of God. Even if you're just a one-talent man, please don't bury your talent. Use it. Be of use in the kingdom of God in the way that you can be of use in the kingdom of God. Philip just models for us so basically and so practically a willingness to work in the kingdom and a desire to see the cause of Christ advance forward. He's all about Jesus. He's all about the kingdom. It's never about Philip. And that's really just what the kingdom needs. We need more people who aren't carrying around a big sack full of ego all the time. And instead, who are interested in the kingdom of the Lord. Can you be a Philip? Sure you can. It just takes a shift in our attitude, maybe a shift in our priorities, but it most certainly can be done. Now, Lord willing, this week, maybe tomorrow if you're following the schedule exactly as we've been laying it out, we're going to get the opportunity to read the remaining verses in Acts chapter 8. And we will see when you get down to that last section of Acts chapter 8, it's probably the most famous part of Acts chapter 8, we'll get to read in detail that Ethiopian eunuch story. And you know what? When we read that story, we will be impressed with what an amazing and great preacher of the gospel Philip is. What an amazing teacher he is as he guides this man in his knowledge and his understanding of who Jesus Christ is and helps him to become a Christian. We'll be impressed with that. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind as you read and as you are impressed with Philip the preacher, don't lose sight of the fact that as great of a preacher he was, Philip, first and foremost, was just a servant. He was a humble, colorblind servant who was willing to do whatever he needed to do in the kingdom of God. And I'd like to think that all of us here tonight were able to say, yep, I can relate to that guy. And so here's the challenging question. Which part, or maybe even a bigger challenge, which parts of Philip's example here are you going to get to work on in your life this very week so that you can be a Philip too. The kingdom of God, it is made up of very ordinary people, but they are ordinary people who have been saved by an extraordinary Savior. That's what makes the people of God unique. That's what makes God's people special. Not anything in and of ourselves, but the fact that we serve an amazing and awesome God. If you are not a part of that kingdom, if you're not a part of this blood-bought body known as the kingdom of God, the people of God, then we extend heaven's invitation to you right now. You don't have to have any special talents or abilities in order to become a Christian. You just have to have a humility of heart that's willing to render your obedience to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. If you're here this evening and you do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're willing and ready to confess that before others, you're ready to make a turnaround in your life, repent, change, turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. And if you're willing to submit yourself to the waters of baptism, then tonight you can do just that. And in those waters of baptism, you'll come into contact with the blood of God or the blood of Jesus, and all your past sins will be washed away. You'll get a clean slate. You'll be a Christian. 
You'll begin serving the Lord. And I'll tell you, you don't have to be something amazing when you come up out of that water. Tonight, I'm giving you three simple things. Just be a Philip. Be somebody who's willing to serve. Join with brothers and sisters who will help you in rendering service to the Lord. Brother or sister, if you've not been what you ought to be, maybe you've been slacking in your service to the Lord, I would sure hope that a lesson like this tonight would provoke you and stir you to action. To realize, you know what, life is too short and the kingdom is way too important for me to just keep sitting around doing nothing. I need to get off the bench and I need to get to work. And if there's something that we can help you with in a public kind of way, pray with you and encourage you, we stand ready to help you tonight as well. Whatever your need might be, would you respond? Why don't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?